If you are turning with me, we're going to start in Acts 16, Acts 16, 25. If you're not turning with me, we'll have it up on the screen behind me. Either way, I'm going to switch back and forth from message to King James as usual. So you're welcome to just read along. Oh yeah, kids class, nursery, you're dismissed. So today I want to talk to you about carbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to talk about we're going to talk about what God fed His kids. So I know that everybody's different, but um, when I cut the carbs out of my diet, I can really lose some weight. I cut out the bread and the the sugar and stuff. Like I can lose a lot of weight. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. I heard uh, one heard this uh, big fella, we'll call him a big fella, um, he said the other day that uh, he identifies as skinny, so that he, that's known as a translender. Okay, so we'll come back to the carb thing. Uh, first, I want to talk about pain and how the worst time in your life can be the best time in your life. The very worst day that you can imagine, looking back on it, can be the best day that you can imagine. It can be the only way that it could have happened. The best day or the worst day. I've been thinking about this, this kind of thought and just thinking around this idea and studying the last few weeks, ever, really ever since Easter, as I was thinking a lot about Good Friday and how we all call it Good Friday. And we talked about that some on Easter, but how we celebrate it. And as Christians, like Good Friday, and then when Jesus, Jesus was crucified and then on to Easter Sunday, the resurrection, like that's pretty much the Super Bowl of our faith. Like if that didn't happen, there would be no Christianity and all this would be for nothing. So like we look back at it and we can call it Good Friday, but there in the moment for Jesus and for the disciples and for any of his followers at that time, it was far from good. In fact, it was the worst day they could possibly imagine. If you want to talk about physical pain, Jesus was pushed to the point and beaten to the point like as far as you can go without killing somebody. Like it doesn't get worse than that Friday. He was wrongfully accused. The disciples were way off because the plan didn't turn out like they thought. And instead of of this king that came in to save them from Rome, a servant came in and washed their feet and then got beat down and they thought nothing turned out like it was supposed to. It wasn't a good day. But us looking back, We now know it as Good Friday. So it was the worst day that anyone could imagine, but it turned out to be the best day. The worst time could be the best time. Greatest day in history. Think about how bad that day was. It was the worst day ever. Let's go ahead and read. This is a familiar story, so we're not going to read the whole entire thing. 
I'm just going to jump in at verse 25. Remember Paul and Silas, um, they were doing what God called them to do. And it wasn't just this great idea to go on this missionary trip. They prayed and fasted, and God sent them on this trip. And things were great. They were going around, and they were getting famous doing what God told them to do. And there were crowds coming and just thinking they were awesome. And they were praying for people, and people were getting healed. And they come along this this girl that's like a fortune teller, and and they ended up healing her and casting the spirits out of her. And a lot of people got mad, and then her owners that were making a ton of money off of her got really mad, turned the crowd against them. And remember, Paul and Silas are doing what God told them to do. They were under specific instructions from God, doing what they were supposed to do. And the crowd jumped on them, ripped their clothes off, and beat them. Embarrassed them, humiliated them, beat them down till they were black and blue, threw them in jail, and told the jailer to put them in maximum security in the jail there at Philippi. And so theologians tell us that they would have chained their arms. It tells us that they chained their arms and their feet in maximum security. So how they did it was they would have chained both arms up above their head and they would pull the chains until they could barely touch the ground with their tippy toes. So they couldn't stand flat. They would just kind of hang in the chains. After being beaten and stripped naked in the street, humiliated, pretty bad day pretty rough day I would say so we'll jump in the story right around there along about midnight the darkest hour Paul and Silas were at prayer and singing a robust hymn picture these jokers hanging in chains naked, beaten wrongfully accused And they're just hanging there. Well, our hands are up. Might as well worship. Worship, hallelujah. Singing a robust hymn to God. The other prisoners couldn't believe their ears. I'll bet they couldn't. Not usually what you hear coming out of the maximum security there at the jail in Philippi. With the sewer running through the bottom. They could hardly believe their ears. And the people in the world are listening to you. The people in your world that you've been placed in. And what comes out of your mouth when bad things happen to you is way more important than what comes out of your mouth when good things happen. Way more important. Who can't praise when they win the lottery? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Who can't praise when they're on the mountaintop? That takes no strength or courage or trust or faith. What comes out when you get squeezed? They couldn't believe their ears. Then without warning, a huge earthquake. The jailhouse tottered. Every door flew open. All the prisoners were loose. Startled from sleep, the jailer saw the doors swinging loose on their hinges. And assuming that all the prisoners had escaped, he pulled out his sword. And he was about to do himself in. Figuring he was as good as dead anyways. This jail was run by the Romans. And if one prisoner escaped, they would kill the jailer. That was the price to pay. 
If all the prisoners escaped, they would have killed not only him, but his whole family. So the one way that you could possibly save your family was if you committed suicide. And it showed that it's so much shame that I've done this. Please don't put it on my family, whatever. So this man was like, I got to kill myself. They're all gone. At least maybe I could save my family if I, if I kill myself. He was trying to do the right thing, what he could do in the moment. I'm as good as dead anyways. When Paul stopped him, don't do that. We're all still here. Nobody's run away. The jailer got a torch and he ran inside, badly shaken. He collapsed in front of Paul and Silas. And he led them out of the jail and he asked, Sirs, what do I have to do to be saved? To really live? And they said, Put your entire trust in the Master Jesus. And then you'll live as you were meant to live. And everyone in your house included. Yay! It's a miracle. And it turned out great. But Paul and Silas had to take some pain. And you can go on and read the rest of the story. But he didn't let them go. They were still in jail after the miracle. Now that night, he let them stay up all night. You know, like a little kid, you don't make them, give them a bedtime. It tells us if you go on and read the rest of the story. He let them stay up all night and he brought them to meet his family and he fed them a really good meal. And they got his whole entire family saved and they all believed in the master Jesus and he took them back and put them in their cell. Now we know you go on and read the rest of the story. They ended up... uh, the rulers, the judges sent and said, let them go because they found out they were Roman citizens and they were afraid they were going to get in trouble for beating them in the street and humiliating them. So they said, let them go. Paul said, no. Nah. You tell them we're not leaving. I'm going to sit right here. You tell them if they want to let us go, they can come here and let us go themselves. They beat us and wrongfully accused us out in the street in front of everybody and that's how they can let us go. Otherwise, we'll sit right here. So they came and apologized. Oh, man, we're so sorry. Here, let's walk you. And they walked them out and released them. But that didn't happen at first. The miracle happened. They didn't escape. Now, how do you think they felt that night when they got put? Well, they stayed up all night. That next day when they got put back in that jail cell and they're sitting there thinking, wait a minute, were we supposed to leave? When that earthquake happened, did we miss it? God came through with a miracle. We missed it. We're still in here. That's probably what Silas was saying to Paul. See, it turned out great, and it's a wonderful story. But Paul and Silas had to take some pain and choose to praise. You know what praise is? It means to be thankful. They had to choose to praise, to be thankful, to be grateful. They had to choose to trust God. Because God set them on this path. And they were in obedience. So even though they were in pain, even though they didn't understand, even though it was dark, they had to choose to trust. Because God told them to go. And it was really great when they first started out on their missionary journey. 
And they got tons of Instagram followers and likes. And they were super famous. And then all of a sudden, it got really bad. Two places at the same time. It was the worst day they could imagine. Then the miracle happened and they saved the jailer, the Roman jailer and all his whole household. And, and this huge miracle happened. So it was the greatest day and the worst day at the same time. And they were like, free but not free. Two places at the same time. Charles Dickens says it was the best of times and it was the worst of times have you ever been there are you there now like one area of your life is great and another area is a disaster I've heard it's called a beautiful disaster You know, like, you're so thankful to God for part of your life, but then there's another part that's full of pain or questions of why, bondage, a place where you say, God, I need a miracle and I need it now. But then this other part of life is great. But God, I got to have you right here. You're going to have to come through on this one two places at the same time. You know, you can drive right down the road to the Georgia-Alabama line. And you can put one foot in Alabama and one foot in Georgia. The best place and the worst place. I won't say which is which. You judge. You can pick that. <laughs> but it's really cool and fun to do. You should try that sometime. Like for a 10-year-old that's super exciting or somebody with a maturity level of a 10-year-old. I won't say whether I've done it or not. But it's cool. <laughs> it's cool to be two places at one time. You know, you can ask most moms, what was one of the worst days of your life? The day I gave birth to my child. Oh, what was one of the best days of your life? The day I gave birth to my child. It was the worst day and the best day. This is actually encouraging. And it's okay. Because no matter how bad things get, we're reminded that you can praise. You can find something to be grateful for. You can trust God no matter how bad it gets. You can trust God. And no matter how good life gets, there's still an area where you need God to show off. There's still an area where you need God to come through and do a miracle. If not, you're not dreaming big. If not, you don't have a lot of faith. If you can figure it all out and if your life's just gotten so good and smooth sailing that there's no area in life where you're counting on God, it's not good either children of Israel um, or the Hebrews they created this word and you know the word um, they created it to describe this and it's Hosanna you know the word Hosanna 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 
the word that they shouted when Jesus rode into the city on the donkeys. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna is actually a Hebrew word and it has a dual meaning. Or it's a compound word. And Hosanna means to praise God and I need God. To give thanks and to cry out for at the same time. When you say Hosanna, you're saying, God, I praise you and I worship you and I give you thanks for everything that you've given me. And God, I need you now. Hosanna. Hosanna. God, I need you. I praise you and I need you at the same time. God, I'm in a lot of pain. I need you. And this is so freeing because it helps you live right now. It's easy to get, well, in the future when things work out and the circumstances are right and when I'm not in pain and when I can figure it all out, then God's going to come through. And No. It's easy to get stuck in the past, too. It's real easy to sugarcoat the past. Talked to somebody the other day. Oh, well, yeah, they just don't. You know, they just don't write good worship songs like they used to. Well, yeah, they do. In fact, they're better, bud. No. (laughs) It's easy to sugarcoat the past and not see what God wants to do right now. In 2 Chronicles 20, I I won't turn there, but the enemy comes after Judah. Judah is the Hebrew word for praise. The enemy comes after praise. The enemy comes after Judah. You know life will kill your praise if you let it. Loss will kill your praise. Brokenness will kill your praise. And fear will kill your praise. Pain will kill your praise. At the time, the king of Judah was Jehoshaphat. And so he freaks out and he's running around because the army's way bigger than them and there's no way that they can physically defeat them and fight them and there's no way it makes sense. They can't win. They're upset. The enemy's coming to take out Judah, to take out praise. And he goes to the prophet. Jehoshaphat goes to the prophet and said, what are we going to do? We're never going to win. The prophet said, put up all the weapons. Put down your bow and arrows and put up your swords and put up your shields and grab instruments. Everybody. Call the worship team. Get horns and guitars and trumpets and drums and bring out all the instruments. Jehoshaphat's probably going, uh. Did you understand the problem? Freaks out. Because the odds are not in their favor. The prophet said, grab all the instruments. Drop all the weapons, call the worship team, and sing. Here's what you say. Say this and only this. You're outnumbered, trying to take your praise. The Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever. Life sucks, but the Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever. Whew, my marriage is hard, but the Lord endures not me personally. I'm just saying an example of one of you maybe thinking that. 
This is not what I expected, but the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. You know what happened? The enemy killed each other. I thought, what in the world is going on? They started playing music and just singing, the Lord is good, His mercy endures forever, and the enemy just started killing each other. Hey! And Judah got to go down and get all their stuff out of the whole valley. They went and got all kinds of stuff, and they renamed it the Valley of Blessing. When it was full of enemies that outnumbered them, it wasn't named the Valley of Blessing. It wasn't a good thing. What I'm telling you is your worship can rename a situation. It can rename a place. So in Exodus, the children of Israel decide that they're sick and tired of this low-carb diet that God's been feeding them. God's been feeding them quail. And so they start murmuring and complaining because God's providing free quail. We don't want to eat all this quail. We're sick and tired of quail. We need some carbs. Yeah, we want bread. Go read it in Exodus 16. They're complaining and they're crying because they want some bread. And Moses is like, you don't need, you don't want bread, you don't want carbs. It just turns into white sugar and it'll give you all big fat bellies. And we're trying to walk through the desert for 40 years. And if you're not in good shape, you're overweight. We're not going to make the walk. And They're like, we want bread. I'm paraphrasing. Okay, (laughs) if you couldn't tell, but that's what happened. You go read it. It just says it a little different than I'm telling you. So Moses goes to God and and Moses is like, hey, God, um, they want bread. God's like, yeah, I know, I heard him. What's wrong with the quail? He's like, I don't know. They just want bread. They said back in Egypt they had plenty of meat and bread to eat, and they could just sit and eat bread, and they want the bread. And God's like, don't they know the bread turns into sugar? And then, and, and Moses said, yeah, I know. I already told him. And God said, yeah, that's right. I heard you tell him. Fine. Tell him there will be bread in the morning. Yay! Moses goes back, and he tells Aaron, and Aaron tells the people, Okay, here's what God said. God said he's going to send quail tonight when it starts to get dark. Here comes all the quail, so I want you to eat meat for dinner. And let your body digest that overnight. And then in the morning when you wake up, there will be bread. They're like, yay, we get bread. We prayed for a miracle. We prayed for bread. And God said he'll give us bread in the morning. And they all went to sleep and they woke up the next morning. Why don't I smell bread? Where's the bread? They're looking around their tents. No bread. Watch this. Let's read it. Let's read what happened. Exodus. Exodus 16. Um, 12. God says this back. This is what God says back to Moses. I've heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At even you shall eat flesh. Oh, I just told you this part. And in the morning ye shall be filled with bread. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp. 
and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoar frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna? Manna. I'm sure you've heard of manna. It's a Hebrew word, and it means, what is it? So the children of Israel are like, where's the bread? And they go outside, and there's these little round things laying all over the ground, and they're like, what is it? Manna? That means, what is it? For they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, this is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. What is it, Moses? It's the bread. This is what he gave you. Look, then he tells them all what they're supposed to do and only get enough for you and your family. Don't get more than you're going to eat tonight because God's going to give you more tomorrow. He wants you to rely on him. And some of them disobeyed. Maggots got in it and it was disgusting and they threw it out and then they started obeying God. He says all that. Skip up to verse 31. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. Or what is it? And it was like, coriander seed white so it was like these little white seeds all over the ground and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey so there's these little white seeds laying all over the ground that tasted like wafers with a drop of honey thanks God not really what I had in mind but cool at least it's some carbs. <laughs> what is this? You ever feel like your life's like that? Like, God, I prayed for a miracle and you came through, but it doesn't really look like I thought it would. Hey, what is this? I asked for bread, not some little white seed looking thing. They were staring at the miracle. And they couldn't see it. Maybe you're in a man a moment. Maybe it came in a form you didn't expect. God does that on purpose. So you can learn to have faith. So you learn to trust. Jesus said in John 6, I am the manna that fell from heaven. Don't miss it. Most of the Jews miss Jesus because he was in a form they didn't expect. See, they wanted a king. And he came as a servant. He came as a seed. The Bible says he is the indestructible seed of the word of God. You know, God usually answers prayer with a seed. When we pray for a big miracle, God gives us a seed. We pray for a loaf of bread, and he gives us a handful of seeds. If you turn over to Numbers 11, Numbers 11, 7, it tells us, And the manna was as a coriander seed, and the color thereof as of the color of 
Bedelium. We already told us in the other one it was white, so I'm assuming that's... A, uh, verse 8 says, And the people went about and gathered it, and ground it in mills, or beat it in a mortar. And they baked it in pans, and they made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. So they gathered all these seeds and they had to go grind it in the mill and beat it. And it made bread. But there was a little something for them to do. They had to work it. God didn't just bake them a loaf of bread and feed it to them while they laid in their tents. He expected them to get up, go out and gather it and obey and grind it and work it. We want a loaf of fresh bread. And God gives us some white seeds laying on the ground. And we say, what is that? That's not what I asked for. Don't miss your manna moment. Because it didn't look like you thought it would. You know, those manna moments. Remember when you got married to him and you thought he was awesome and so cool. Yeah, I love him so much. He could do no wrong. And this morning before church, you rolled over and looked at him. You said, manna. <laughs> it's that manna moment when it doesn't look like you thought it would. <laughs> He's not. Okay, move on past that one. Another example. Remember how awesome New Horizon Worship Center was when you first started coming here and how great of a pastor I was. And now today, as I'm telling this story in my own paraphrase you're like manna don't miss the manna moment because it doesn't look like you thought it should because it's a seed not a loaf of bread I know it hurts I know it's hard and I know it's the darkest hour But you got to work it. That jailer was about to kill himself. And Paul said, stop. Don't do it. You think you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And God says today, no. That jailer thought that he was in the wrong place. The prison doors were open. He thought everybody left and he was there alone. And he was going to die. But really he was surrounded. Paul and Silas were what he needed. They were all still there. You are surrounded by the right people. You want to know something cool? Most of the scholars agree that you remember the church at Philippi, all of Paul's letters, the Philippians, the, the book of Philippians are letters to the church at Philippi. Um, and all the scholars agree that the pastor of the church at Philippi was either the jailer or one of his family members. They started the church after this event. Him and his family got saved and they planted the church there in Philippi. And then we got this whole book of the Bible because of it. And that whole part of the world was reached for Jesus because of this one incident. 
Wow. Because of praise and worship in pain? Because somebody chose to find something to be thankful for and to worship even in the middle of something they didn't understand. God's fingerprint was put on that part of the world. Picture Paul and and Silas hanging there. What must it have taken to make that decision? Remember Proverbs 18:21. Power of life and death is in the tongue. I'm thinking Paul's hanging there like, well, our hands are chained up. We can't do anything. Our feet are chained up. Can't go anywhere. But hey, Silas, they didn't chain up our tongues. Life and death is not in the power of my feet. Life and death is not in the power of my hands. It's in my tongue. You know what we can do? We can worship. Paul said, come on, Silas. Sing something. I don't want to sing. Sing from your heart, Silas. Because what we say next matters. What we say in this moment matters more than we even know. Silas was a black guy with a voice like Darius Rucker. I think. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Sounds like a black guy name. Or Titus, my son. Paul said, sing, Silas. Silas said, even when it hurts like hell, I praise you. Hillsong. I think he was singing Hillsong. Because they knew what came out of their mouth in that moment mattered. And the atmosphere began to change. And the other prisoners heard them. And the ground began to shake. There's power in your praise. Ephesians 3.10. It's a crazy scripture. And I've read it in a lot of different translations and, and looked up some commentary about it and stuff. I'm going to read it to you in the King James and then I'm going to read it to you in the Message Bible and we'll close. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places talking about angels and spirits might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God hmm message Bible says it like this I'll read you uh, 3 8 through 10 the message Bible it says and so here I am Preaching and writing about things that are way over my head. 
the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God who created all this in the first place has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through Christians like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. Through you. Through Christians like yourselves in churches like this, angels are watching and learning. About God. Angels are learning about God from us, from your worship, from your praise. We are walking out the plan of God, and we're teaching the angels something. As we choose to come into God's presence, and when we connect with God, when we choose to worship, the angels learn more about God. Matthew tells us that we all have an angel. So the angels were created. They're created beings. They were created to worship God. And we were born. The first thing they saw was God. They were programmed to worship. It's what they were made to do. It's what they've always done. But we choose to. We choose to worship a God we have not seen. They've seen God we haven't. So when you choose to lift your hands, when you choose to sing, when you choose to pray, to connect with God, when you choose to empty yourself and be refilled in His presence, even when it hurts, Even in the darkest hour. Even at the very bottom. When you choose to focus on Him instead of your problem. Not only are your chains breaking. Not only does it make a difference. But you're teaching your angel how to worship. It was the best day. And it was the worst day. God, I praise you. God, I need you. Don't miss a miracle. Because it doesn't look like you thought it would look. Don't miss an opportunity. I did some studying and looking up and I found that every miracle that was done in the whole entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, every single miracle I could find in the whole entire book done by Jesus, the apostles, the disciples, doesn't matter who, every single miracle has one thing in common. They all started with a problem. Something was wrong. It was all somebody's bad day. 
every one of them. So maybe today you're in the worst day of your life. Maybe you're in a horrible relationship. Maybe you're in the worst job you can possibly imagine. Maybe it's just a bad day of good news. You're set up for a miracle. You're in a perfect spot. Let's pray. Hey, God. We've seen you come through in the past. We've seen you come through time and time again. Today we remind ourselves of that. And we trust you. We don't trust our circumstances. We don't even trust our feelings. We trust you. And we choose to praise and worship you. No matter what it looks like. God, we're going to work that seed. We pray for the miracle. We pray for bread. We pray for what we want. And we trust you. And we're going to worship you. Like never before. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. Thank you for grace and mercy. Thanks for picking us up every time we mess up. In Jesus' name. Amen.